Good morning. I'm going to move up. Sorry, Joe. I'm going to be right in line with you. Peripheral vision. Y'all are like so far away. I do. I don't smell bad. <laughs> At least I don't think I do. All right. Good morning. Good to be with you as always uh, on this transition uh, as we finally looks like we're transitioning from what is called winter and maybe spring. And it, it looks like this week we're going to skip right to summer. We're going to be in the 80s, and it's going to be sunny, and we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. Um, and then watch probably the next week, it'll go back down to 40, and we'll be like, what world do we live in? Um, but I would like to quote for you a very familiar song. Some of you may know it quite well. Some of you may know it from your childhood when you were in Sunday school, especially here at Telro Bible Chapel, and it goes like this. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms, and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And yes, I heard some of you starting to sing it. Don't be ashamed. However, however, it's a nice Sunday school song, right? It's cute. It helps us as little kids, when we were little kids, if we can think back that far. For me, it's getting farther and farther away. Some of us don't remember it at all anymore. It's okay. But it's a great way for little kids to understand and know Bible stories. It's a great way for little kids, three, four years old, to, to know how the Bible works and to know that there are cool stories like this in the Bible and it's great to read and great to find out its treasure and its story. It's also a great way for us to remember things and recite things just like I did there. It's been in my brain since, my brain since I was five, you know, and I probably will never lose it, I hope. Um, however, if we leave our theology if we leave our understanding of Scripture and if we leave our understanding of how the church and we as Christians are supposed to operate, then we are doing ourselves a disservice if it's only based upon Sunday school songs. Yes, it's cute. Yes, it's nice. Yes, we, we get a joy when we hear the children singing it. I, I heard them singing it a few weeks ago as I was getting ready uh, for the senior high class upstairs. I heard them singing at the top of their lungs, some of them screaming. I heard Zoe, definitely. Yes, Allie, that was you. <laughs> you know, some children do stand out <laughs> when they sing. Mm. And, you know, it, it's a joy to hear that. But we do our ourselves at the service if we just leave our knowledge and we just leave our understanding at the Sunday school song level. And, in fact, we miss out on a far greater point and maybe a far greater impact that the story in the Scripture has. And you know what? As great as this little Sunday school song is about Acts 3, it misses the impact. Yes, Peter and John did go to pray. Yes, they met a lame man on the way. Yes, he asked for alms and held out his palms. And yes, Peter did say something to him. But what's most important in this passage and in this story in Acts chapter 3 is what Peter did. What Peter and John did. And the fact that they were willing to do it and the fact that they were willing to see this man's life changed. See this man's life transformed. The other thing that we, we fail to miss is that right at this moment, the church goes from being some small little group of people, 3,000 plus, yes, that was still small back then in a large city like Jerusalem. This group of people that just met in houses and upper rooms, praying together and breaking bread together. This is the moment where the church goes viral. 
Right? This is the moment that the church is no longer that nice little group, but now it's something that needs to be recognized. Now it's something that needs to be noticed. Now it's something that needs to be dealt with. And now it's something that people need to make a decision about. This gospel, this Jesus that they're proclaiming and that they're now pushing out into the forefront of society and culture, what are we going to do with it? And it's from here on out that, yes, the church grows, but so does the persecution. And the church and the lives of those believers, and even ours, are forever changed on how we should be living for Christ and how that message will be received. So let us read Acts 3, 1 through 12 before we go any further. Acts 3, 1 through 12. It's right behind me on the screen too. Nice fancy artwork by Joey there. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask of alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made this man walk? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we have to look at your word and to look at this story, to look at this portion of scripture that though, yes, we we know it mainly through Sunday school song and we remember it that way and it's great to sing and it's great to recite. Lord, we, we know there is a far greater impact than what a little song can give us. Lord, as we look at this passage and we look at the people involved and we look to see how you work, Lord, may you open our hearts and minds to what it is that you are saying to us this morning, that we all would be ready and willing to accept um, what we should be doing as the church, what we should be doing as your followers, your people, uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, and what lights and witnesses we should be to this world. So Lord, we just ask right now that you would speak to us once again, that your Holy Spirit would move in the way that you see fit and that your will would be done, and that your word would go forth, and that we would take it and apply it to our lives, and that we would be convicted, and that we would be changed of whatever it is that we need to be convicted and changed of, Lord. Uh, So, Lord, help us to be open to that, and we just pray that everything we do now and say would be honoring and glorifying to your name, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's take a look at the story real quick. First, we have the lame man. It says in Acts 2, verses 5, it gives us a little description that he was lame since birth. In fact, if you actually go over to Acts 4, 22, it said he had been there in that spot for over 40 
years. So let's do some quick math. He's been at lame at least for 40 plus years. We don't know how old he is, but it's been 40 plus years that he's been lame and laid at that temple gate. So he is well over 40 maybe. So he has been there quite a long time. And as we read, he has a good support group. His friends every single day come, they take him, they pick him up, and they lay him at the entrance of the beautiful gate. He has people to pick him up and take him where he needs to be so he could ask for alms. And let me tell you this, this is not something that they do by accident. They lay him at the beautiful gate because the beautiful gate was the most beautiful gate in the temple. It was the biggest gate, the broadest gate, the highest gate, covered in nice Corinthian brass. And as we know, many of the wealthier worshipers going into the temple would enter through that gate. So this lame man knew what he was doing. His friends knew how to get him support, and that was to lay him at the beautiful gate so he could ask for alms. Because they were also playing off on the Jewish culture that said, hey, if you were going into the temple to pray or to worship, and you gave alms to a beggar outside the temple, you did your righteous deed. For the day. You were good before the Lord, so it made you feel good going into that temple. You're like, oh yeah, I dropped the money off there, did my good deed for the day, I'm ready. Here we go. Let's pray, let's worship, Lord, right? Got it, good. All right, and that was the attitude. So they played off that custom, they played off that tradition that, hey, if I gave money to this man, I've done my good deed. At the beautiful gate, the wealthiest gate that people would walk through. This was a good, executed plan. This was a good support system. But you know what? This man only did it to survive. This man only did it to get by. You know, as uh, Jerry Garcia in The Grateful Dead said, I will get by. You know, or as Ringo Starr and the Beatles once sang, I get by with a little help from my friends. But that's all he was doing. He was just getting by. He was just surviving to the next day. He was just dealing with his situation and his condition. Did he improve? Did he get better? Did he get healed from all that money that was given to him? No. No. He just did it to sustain something that would make him survive. Yes, the support system was great. Yes, what he did kept him from dying and starving to death, obviously. But it never improved his condition. That is who he was. He had labeled himself as that. He had put himself in that position, and he had accepted his condition, never hoping for a change. There was no cure back then. There was no science had not caught up to the time of how to help maybe people walk and come up with things to get the spinal cord to work properly and the neurons and the nerves to fire right. He knew there was no cure. So this was his daily routine. And you know what? Every single day it was confirmed to him as his friends laid him there and people dropped coins in his little cup as he reached out. And they said, yeah, you're a lame man. That's who you are going to be for the rest of your life. So he accepted the label for himself. He accepted the situation for himself. But he also accepted the label and the condition that society placed on him as well. We look around in our world today and we look in our country today and we see Many, many people who are willing just to get by in their situation. And yes, we have all the government programs that we can think of. We have all the different little social programs that we can think of that they are, and they are good. They are helpful. But we know they don't really help improve people's situation for the most part. 
They only help them get by, survive. Maybe to the next day, maybe to the next meal. Never changing the condition. Never approving the situation. And you know what? People just get so ingrained in that. So lost in that that they're like, this is it. This is all I have. This is who I am. This is what a society accepts me to be. So you know what? I am just going to stay right here because this is all I know. And I don't think there's any hope. We, we know all the programs. We know people like that. We know people who need help, but maybe they're not willing to receive the help because they've just been ingrained in that situation so long they can't recognize it. And dear church, how often are we like those same worshipers going into the temple? When we see and meet those people, we just walk on by and drop our coin in the pot and keep moving. Never caring. Just saying, I've done my good deed. I'm good for the day. Thoughts and prayers, sir. Hope you get well. Hope you survive. Hope you have a meal, enough food for tomorrow. See you later. How often are we like that, church? Are we just like those same people? Think about the people we interact with every day. Think about the people who might just come up to us and ask us for money or ask us for things, and we're like, ah, no, 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 I, I don't got anything, but I, I hope you find what you're looking for. Is that our attitude? Is that what we should be like? If it is, why should we ever wonder the world never wants to walk through our doors? Why should we ever wonder that the world doesn't receive us and our message? Yes, Jesus said they, will, they hated me, so they're going to hate you. We get that. But if we have the same attitude as these worshipers and we just keep right on moving along and saying, here's some money, be well, thoughts and prayers, is anybody ever going to really want to hear what we have to say or what we really have to offer? I think not. Put, your position, put yourself in that position. Put yourself in those shoes of the lame man and say, hey, would I ever really want to know or hear what these people have to say and truly offer me to help me? No, because how they treat me every single day, just something that they can put on their checklist and move on. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't stop there. In fact, we see Peter and John, they come along. They come along, and it says they were going up to the temple to pray at the ninth hour. Um, you know, this was, they weren't keeping the Old Testament law. This is just something that they were accustomed to doing and saying, hey, it's a good time to pray. It's a good time to go up and pray, so let's pray. They weren't worshiping. They weren't, you know, living out the Old Testament sacrificial system. They were just going to pray. It's okay. You know, and it was something that they were used to, so it was something they said, hey, for us to keep going, for us to keep being followers of Christ and his church, we need to pray together. And maybe as we do it in the temple, people will ask us, why are we praying in Jesus' name? Why are we praying to him? They might have used it as a witness opportunity. But we see as they come along this road, they meet the lame man. In fact, what do they do? They don't just put money in his cup and move on. They stop, okay? They stop. And you think about this for a second. Peter and John have experienced some amazing things the past couple months. The disciples in general, the people of the church, have experienced things that were so amazing the last couple months. We know Jesus, he rose again. He died, he rose again. He left his last words with them, spent about 40 days with them after he rose again, gave them some last words, and then went up into heaven. And then this whole church thing started. They found a new 
disciple to replace Judas. They had the day of Pentecost where Peter preaches and we have the tongues of fire coming down and over 3,000 people are saved and the church grows. And then we see that they're selling everything, taking their goods, making sure everybody has their needs met, everything in common. They're meeting together, praying together, worshiping together, teaching one another. It's an awesome time, awesome experiences. And you know what? They've seen it all unfold before them, just like Jesus said it would. And you know what? All those things that Jesus told them before he left, while he was with them on the earth, in his ministry and before he left, are starting to click in their head. The pieces are all coming together. And as they enter and come close to that temple gate and see the lame man, they know exactly what needs to be done. Exactly what needs to be done. And they don't hesitate. And how do we know that? Look at the words that Peter uses. It says they stop. That Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter directed his gaze at him. This is intentional. You didn't look at a lame person when you gave them money. Because if you did, they thought they, they, they would think that they would want more, you know, and they would expect more out of you, that you actually made eye contact. Some of us don't like, like to make eye contact with people we know. We're just like, <laughs> you know, they made eye contact. They said, look at us. Look at us. This is intentional. Uh, it's, it's got a purpose behind it. You know, they say, look at us. Most people wouldn't even talk to a beggar. Okay, we're taking this, this a little bit deeper now. We looked at him. We're talking to him. And it says, what do they do? He looks at them eagerly. He's expecting something now. He says, oh, man, this is going to be good. No one ever stops. No one ever stops by me to drop off the money. They just keep right on going. So if they're stopping and they're looking at me and they're talking with me, oh my goodness, this is going to be great. This is going to be better than I've ever had it before. And then Peter drops the bomb. I don't have any money. I don't have silver and gold. No tengo dinero. No tengo nada. <laughs> I've got nothing of what you're looking for. And you know what, if, if Peter just left it there, we're like, man, that's mean. Man, that's cruel that you got this man worked up like that and you just whoop, pulled the rug right out from him. How could you do that? But he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, oh, I don't have any silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Notice what Peter didn't say. Notice what Peter didn't do there. Now, granted, I know John was with him, but John was just there for moral support, I think, and Peter was doing all the interacting. Um, and Peter didn't say, hey, you know, maybe the Roman government can give you some money, you know, and you can improve your condition. Maybe you should talk to your senator and see what he can do. Or maybe you should uh, go support the local Jewish uh, zealot group that's going to hopefully one day overthrow the Roman government and your condition will improve. You know what he also didn't say? He didn't say, oh man, you know, what did you do to be in this situation? Why are you lame? What sin did you commit? They've come a long way since John 9 when they asked Jesus about the blind man. Hey, who sinned, his mom and dad or him? And Jesus said, neither. It's for the glory of God that this is all happening. They've come a long way. They didn't do any of that. They didn't say, hey, you know what? Maybe if you voted for somebody else, you wouldn't be in this condition. Maybe if you selected a different political party, well, you couldn't do that back then because it was the Romans and that was it, hello. Um, but, you know, maybe if you supported somebody differently, you would have a better situation. Or maybe if you wait till another program comes along, 
you know, or maybe someone else comes along, you could have your condition improved. They didn't do that. They didn't stop and judge him. They didn't stop and say, look at this guy. They didn't stop and pick on him, and they didn't use him as a political or social example for their change or their agenda. Brothers and sisters, how often do we do that? Nate Bramson, two weeks ago when he was speaking at Memorial, asked us this question. Can we stop posting on Facebook and social media as believers Political things like, hey, if you vote Republican, life will be better. Hey, you shouldn't vote Democrat because they're a bunch of liars and scammers. Hey, you're a liberal. I don't like you. Hey, you don't listen to my agenda. I'm just going to shout you down. Are we supposed to do that as believers? Are we supposed to judge those people? How are they ever going to hear the gospel? How are we ever going to reach them in the name of Jesus Christ? Oh, If you vote in the new health program, do away with Obamacare, everything will be better for everybody. No, it's not. We know everything has flaws, and there's always going to be people complaining, and things are going to go up and down and whatever. Oh, if you you only did this, if you only followed that, if you only supported this group of people, things will get better for you, and your condition will improve. Oh, you voted that way? Oh, you decided to support that? Well, no wonder you are where you are. You deserve that. We see that on Facebook and social media every day. And the scary thing is, once again, we see it from believers. Why? Can we stop? If you want people to see Jesus Christ, if we want people to see what the church is about, stop. Stop following that pattern. It doesn't do anybody good, and it doesn't bring about the light and the witness of Jesus Christ. Now listen, there are many things that we can do on social media that are good and we can support things and movements and that's great. But we always like to make it turn ugly and attack one another and point the finger at one another and that just never does anybody any good. Peter and John did not do that here. They didn't say anything of that sort. Yeah, granted, I know, they didn't have social media back then, okay? (laughs) But they didn't do anything along that vein, along that line of thinking. They knew what needed to be done. They knew what this man needed. And Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And here's the beautiful thing that Peter does. Yes, he makes a statement, a bold statement of faith. Yes, he proclaims, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He's saying, all the power, all the authority I have to tell you to rise up and walk doesn't come from me. It comes from Jesus Christ. The risen Savior, the powerful Savior, the one who is in me, the one who has given us the Holy Spirit to do his work and to see his church grow and to see his name and message be proclaimed. That's what Peter does it in. doesn't do it by his own strength, his own might. In fact, later on in chapter 3, when he's defending and giving understanding as to what he did and how the man was healed, he says, by faith in his name. This man was healed. This man is standing before you well. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith by that man to be healed, but also faith by Peter and John to believe and trust that the Lord would work through them to do good and to see transformation come about. So there's big power in the name of Jesus. And you say, well, where does Peter get all that? Think about what Peter had experienced in in being with the Lord and all the things that Jesus told him. In fact, in Acts before 1, before Jesus leaves and goes up and ascends up into heaven, he says, hey, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you are going to have the power and authority to go out 
and be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And you are going to be able to proclaim my name, do things in my name, and you will see signs and wonders. In fact, we read that in Acts 2, that as they were proclaiming, signs and wonders were being done among them. But then also, it goes back to Luke 9, when Jesus sends out the disciples originally and says, hey, I'm sending you out. Don't take any money. Don't take any extra clothing. Go out just with you. Don't take a staff, just what you're wearing and your shoes and take somebody with you. Go in twos. And you know what? I give you the power to heal, cast out demons, and proclaim the message of the kingdom of God. Proclaim the gospel. So Peter and John know where they're coming from and know that this is not their own doing. This is all the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And they are willing to share that. So when they say silver and gold have I none, they are absolutely honest. But what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. As Alan said last week in his message, there is a man. His name is Jesus Christ. I have him and I want to give him to you. And what does Peter do? Reaches down reaches out, takes him by the right hand, and pulls him up. See, so often we see people in their mess. We see people going through their hard times, their issues, and we're like, I don't want to get involved in that. Yeah, I know they need help. Yeah, they would benefit if they heard the gospel. Yeah, they would benefit if they knew about Jesus Christ, but man, they are in such a mess There's no way I could pull them out. There's no way I would want to go that far down. Think about it. When you have to pull somebody up, you have to reach out. You have to reach down. You have to be willing to touch them and help them. No matter how heavy they are, no matter their situation, you have to be willing to do that. Peter and John were. They wanted to make that connection. They wanted to say, what I have to offer you is real. Brothers and sisters, we could say so many words about so many things, but the connection is made when we reach out and we reach down and say, I want to help, and I have something that can help. And you know who that is? Jesus Christ. There is a man. I'm offering him to you. That's what I have to give because that's all I can really give to transform your life. So when Peter and John reach out and reach down, they are making that connection. And the beautiful thing, it says they pull him up. And it says basically the feet, the ankle bones were all made well. It says we're made strong. From a medical perspective, that's impossible to do just like that. Someone who hasn't walked for over 40 years, all of a sudden... (laughs) is all of a sudden up and on his legs. That's why Luke includes it in there. It says his feet and his ankles were made strong. And there's a lot of medical stuff, a lot of medical information. I'm sure if you talk to Josh and his PT, he could explain to you a little bit more of how it all works with the ankle and the foot bone. And when you get up, how the socket rolls and everything connects, boom, and off you go. It says immediately everything was made strong and he pops up and he's walking and leaping. Some of us have trouble getting out of bed in the morning. There was a time here at Tower Road, it was during the breaking of bread, I was just sitting in a funny way that my leg fell asleep. Someone prayed for the bread, and I was like, I'm going to go 
up and break it, or I'll go up and help pass it around. I'm sitting right over there, and I knew my leg had fallen asleep, but I'm like, it'll be good. I, I can get up and do this. Oh, no. The moment I got up, I was dragging that thing like Igor. I was like, because it was dead. It was falling asleep. And, you know, when you, you think about that, that's a funny image. Yeah, I was dragging that thing, and you heard the loud, uh. You know, it says this man immediately, everything was made strong, and he popped up, and he went walking and leaping and praising God. What an amazing miracle. It's all done by the power of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's all because Peter and John were willing to stop, interact, reach out, reach down, and offer what they had by faith to this man. They said, there is a man, there is this guy, Jesus Christ. Believe in him and your life will be transformed. Brothers and sisters, that's what we are to be like as followers of Christ, as the church. We are to reach down into the messes, reach down into the hurts, reach down into the conditions and statuses that seem like they can never change and say, I don't have silver and gold. I don't even have the medical means. But what I do have, I have the message of the gospel. I have the power of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. That's what I have. That's what I can give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Your life can be transformed by the gospel. And that's why the Lord came. That's why the message was preached and proclaimed. Our lives need to be changed. Our lives need to be transformed. And the only way that's going to happen is through Jesus Christ. And the only way that's going to happen in the world out there is through Jesus Christ and through the gospel. And the only way it's going to get done is that if we're willing to go out and do it. If we're willing to go out and be used by faith to reach out to those people. To reach down and say, there is a man. There's Jesus Christ. Believe in him, and you will be saved. Believe in him, and your life will be transformed. Yes, are we maybe not going to go out and perform miracles and heal people? Okay, but that's not the point. The miracle there is just emphasizing the power of Christ to transform lives. And he has given that to us to give to the world. First Peter 2 says that we who have been called out of darkness and into marvelous light. We have been called out of that darkness. We are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into light. That's what we're supposed to do because we know that's what changes. That's what transforms. That's what people really need in their lives to improve their condition, to improve where they are. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see as they continue on and we see as the man rises up and is walking and leaping and praising God, it says everybody recognized him. Everybody. They said, that's the dude that sat at the gate. For over 40 years, what in the world is he, not just walking, he's jumping up like he's Michael Jordan, about to dunk the basketball, or LeBron James, more modern times. You know, he is, he is exploding off the ground. A man who never walked before. He is walking and he is leaping and he's going in to the temple praising God. He's going into the place where the Jews said, hey, that's where we meet God. That's where we come before God, the temple. That's our home base there. This man who wasn't allowed in because of his condition, because he was a social outcast, because he was unclean, is now welcomed in as a worshiper and a child of God. Why? 
because of Jesus Christ. And everybody recognized it. Everybody noticed it. And brothers and sisters, that is the amazing thing. That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of Christ. That people recognize that there is something different. People recognize that there is a change. It is recognizable. Does the world see it? Do we show it? Do we let people know, hey, I am a follower of Christ. I am a believer in Christ. This is who I am all about. Do people know the difference? Do people see the change? They saw it in this man, yes, because he was walking and leaping. But do they see the change in us? And finally, it says, they come together. They're utterly astounded. I love that word in the ESV. They're utterly astounded. It's like, can't even explain it. Can't even probably get words out. And they, they come rushing up to Peter and John. And Peter takes that moment and goes on, as we know, in the rest of the chapter, and we'll look at that at that, the lunch after lunch. They, Peter takes that moment and explains to them what has just happened. That this man was healed, not by my might, not by my power, not by my doing, not even by John's power or his might or his doing, but by Jesus Christ, by faith in him. All because of him. That's the message. He said, don't look at me. Look to him. I'm pointing you to him. And that's what the world needs to know. When they come up to us, when they want to know what we're all about. They don't need to know our political position. They don't need to know who we voted for in the last election. They don't need to know what our leanings are on the Second Amendment. Okay, yes, I know that's a big hotbed topic. But they don't need to know that. What they need to know is Jesus Christ. As Paul says when he wrote to the Corinthians, I came to you wanting to know nothing more than Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what I want you to know. That's what is important. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and his ability to transform lives. That is the key. And brothers and sisters, when people come to us, is that what they see? Is that what they hear? Or do they know us more for our Facebook and social media rants? Do they know us more for how we attack people and respond to people? Do they know us more for our faults? Do they know us more for things that are so unimportant? And I speak to myself more than I speak to anybody else. I know there are a ton of things that I do in my life where people can say, oh, Steve, he's a Phillies fan. Steve, he's an Eagles fan. They won the Super Bowl. Um, you know, <laughs> He's all this. But do they say, hey, that's Steve. He's a follower of Christ. Hey, that, that's Steve. He believes in Jesus Christ, how he lives his life, how he interacts with people. He's told me about him. He's shared me with him. You know, he's, he's given me that. that. That's Steve. And all those other things don't really matter. It's, it's something I struggle with. It's something I have to look deep and down. It's something that the Holy Spirit has convicted in my own heart. When people look at me and see how I interact with them and see how I look at the things that are going on in our society, do they see that Christ comes first? Do they see that Christ is proclaimed? Do they see that Christ is what matters and nothing else? Paul said in, Rome, in Philippians 3, I count it all as rubbish to know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Count everything else as dung, poop, when it comes to 
knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, I want to make him my own because he made me his own, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Do people know that in us? Do people see us as someone who is willing to reach down and reach out with what we have to give? It's not silver. It's not gold. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we willing to do that? We have been given the gift of the gospel. We have been given the gift of salvation. Yes, to save us, but you know what? Not to keep it to ourselves. We are to give it to others. We are to share it with others. We are to show it to others, and people need to know that is what matters most. That is what can transform and change lives. So as we consider these things and as we go from here today, let's think about those people that we come in contact with, the people we walk by, the people we rub shoulders with. We can think of them as family, as friends, maybe that stranger, maybe the homeless guy sitting on the corner of the street or at the train station or the bus station when we walk off and he's holding out his hand and says, hey man, you got a buck? You got five dollars? And maybe we can be honest with him and say, listen, I don't really have the money, but what I do have, I give to you, and that is Jesus Christ and the message of salvation. Listen, you can sit here all day and ask for money. You can sit here all week and ask for money, but really what you need to hear is the message of the gospel, and really what you need to hear is that there is someone out there who loves you, someone who is willing to die for you, to save you from your sins and to transform your life, and his name is Jesus Christ. And share them. Share him with them. Think about those people. We know who they are. We know who we rub shoulders and come in contact with every day. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to reach out and reach down and say, here you go. This is what you need. Or are we just going to sit there and walk on by? Say, hope you get better. Thoughts and prayers. Hope your situation improves. Yes, it takes time. Yes, it takes interaction. Yes, it takes communication. Yes, it takes eye contact. Yes, it takes a lot. Yes, it takes stepping down into a mess. Maybe that's too dirty for us and makes us get all squeamish. But we know what people need. And we know what we have. Are we willing to reach down and reach out? just like Peter and John. Brothers and sisters, if we are, this world will change. The gospel will go forth. The lives may be impacted. Yes, we might receive some flack back for it in the process. The early church did. Why can we expect anything less? But we know what it does. We know how it moves, and we know how it changes lives for the better, for eternity. So let's not keep it here. Let's be willing to reach out and reach down so that others may rise up and walk and leap and praise and glorify Jesus Christ for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this story. 
We thank you for the men involved, and we thank you how you worked through Peter and John to bring about transform, to bring about change in this man's life. And Lord, we know it's not by what those two men did and said, but ultimately it's by you, your power, and it's by faith in what you can do. And Lord, we are thankful for this story and how these men were willing to reach out and reach down. May we be willing to do the same. Show us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to do that. Help us, Lord, to remember that we have something, a gift that is far greater than any monetary value, anything that we could ever give. And Lord, help us to remember that it's not a gift for us to keep, but that we are these jars of clay that are to be broken so that we can share and give off what you have given to us. So Lord, help us to be able to be willing to reach down, reach out, to share the message, to proclaim the gospel, to share Jesus Christ and say there is a man and to make him the most important thing in our lives so that when people look at us, they say, yes, I want to receive that. I'm willing to reach back up and reach out and believe in him so that my life can be transformed too. Help us, Lord, we pray. Uh, as we go from here, uh, speak to our hearts. Speak to my heart. And may we be able and willing to transform lives through the good message and power of the gospel so that others may join us in glorifying and worshiping and walking and leaping and praising the Almighty God. We ask and pray all these things in your name. Amen.